Welcome to On The Print, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon, and as you know, I'm your host and your guide. I'm also a bit of an explorer, and I go looking for really interesting people who are going to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can soar. These are indeed fast-changing times, and so the more and unusual people I can bring to you, the happier I am, and from what I've heard from my listeners, the happier you are. And I'm amazed at where people are listening to our podcast, so thank you. You've pushed us to the top 5% of podcasts across the globe, and that's a pretty impressive place to be. And, you know, we're at 400 podcasts, you know, posting, so we just keep going trying to find great folks. Today, I'm quite honored to have Liam Martin with me. Now, Liam has a very interesting story to share with you about the world that we're in. And I'm going to ask him some questions about what is work? What's remote work? I have my own clients who are trying to bring their employees back into the office. And the employees are saying, why? And they're saying, why not? We miss you. And they say, but we don't miss the commute and we don't mind working out of the house. And and we're getting much more productive and we're actually having a life. It's a very interesting time, even as we go post-pandemic. It's hard to know what's going on and who's coming back and how to use remote and what we've learned wisely. And I think that's the lesson to be learned today. So let me introduce you to Liam. Liam is a serial entrepreneur. He runs something called Time Doctor and Staff.com, one of the most popular time tracking and productivity software platforms in use by top brands today. He's also co-organizer of the world's largest remote work conference, Running Remote. And he'll tell you a little bit about it because it's already happened. But I think you're going to wait for next year to make sure you can get there as well. Aliam is an avid proponent of remote work and has published in all the major publications. Um, He targets the expansion of remote work not because it's a gig. It's because it really does work for work. And I've been talking and doing research a lot about what is work? Where do we work? What's the home? Is there a home? How, you know, we talked about life work balance. It's sort of blended. And the pandemic was a catalytic moment for change. And I love change, but it's also been a catalytic moment for wondering about all the core values we've got. Liam, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm super excited to be able to get into this subject because I think we're going to be able to get a little bit deeper than the average podcast. Well, I think that's what I hope to do. I refuse to say to you, give me three things to talk about. But you do have a new book out. It's called Running Remote. It's focused on remote work methodology, and it's a revolutionary guide. And for the listener and the viewer, it is revolutionary. Because it isn't simply about what you ought to do, but it's also how you should do it and why you should do it. But it raises those fundamental questions we're asking. Like, what is work and how do you get it done? And then how do you review the people who are working this way? And what are all the four things that we have in our company? Liam, tell us about you. Who's Liam? How did you get here? Why is remote work so important to you? So first off, uh, I'm currently in a chalet in northern Canada. I'm from French Canada. Uh, so I'm fluent in both French and English. And I've been working remotely for almost 20 years. I definitely was doing it before everyone thought it was cool. And the reason why I was doing that was I actually started, I finished, well, finished. I dropped out of my PhD. They gave me a pop prize, which was a master's degree uh, for dropping out. And I remember teaching my very first class at McGill University. I was incredibly excited about this because this is where I was going 
in my career. It was academia. Started with 300 students, ended up with less than 150, and the worst academic reviews in the history of the department. The department had been up and running for 186 years. So pretty bad. I remember walking into my supervisor's office, and I remember him very squarely in the face telling me, I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you are not. And I said, okay, so what do you think I should do? He said, you got to get pretty good at this teaching thing over the next 10 to 20 years before you get to do anything really fun. So figure out how to get better at that or figure out to do something else. Six weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door. I was out into the real world. And that's where I actually started my very first business, which was an online tutoring company. And I grew that to dozens of tutors throughout North America and Europe. But I ended up actually really working for the business. I was working 18-hour days. I remember I actually chipped one of my teeth when I went to the dentist to be able to check the tooth. You sit down, you've got the big white light, the chair that goes back. <laughs> I know and it the, well. And the dentist gasped. And it's never a good idea when a health professional gasps when they look at you. He said, Liam, which tooth are you talking about? You've chipped almost all of your teeth. He thought that I had pancreatic cancer because I had had x-rays the year before in which my teeth were perfect. And it was from stress. I was grinding my teeth at night and grinding them into chalk. So he said, figure out how to do this remote work thing better. Figure out how to do a business better. And that's where I really started to unlock the secrets of remote work. I've now grown multiple businesses to eight-figure run rates and beyond. We have team members in 44 different countries all over the world. And I'm really excited about our mission statement, which is empowering the world's transition towards remote work. Everything that we do feeds into that. That is just both fascinating. But I also remember teaching my first class at Queens College. I had 300 students in the room. And when I was done, my professor came up to me. And Sidel Silverman said to me, you'll do. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant other than spend 10 years as an academic and I got my tenure and I had I had really rave reviews, except for an mm -hmm. occasional not so rave. Um, but then I, too, left to get into business because I wasn't going to do the same thing in academia for my rest of my life. The idea of being mm -hmm. tenured was a very high mark to achieve and then something that I didn't want to pursue. And business has been quite fascinating in terms of change. When you did this, it was early in the remote world. Mm -hmm. You could see opportunities in there. And I am, I'm curious because as you began to build the companies around this, you learned some things that became really quite a fashion of yours in, and really probably the substance of your book. So before we get into your book, some of the insights that came from that early business and the remote work workplace. So for me, I'm always really good at figuring out trends that are moving up and to the right. The problem for me, however, is I don't know how fast they're moving. So are we talking about the market expanding at 2% per year, 10% per year? Just to kind of give you context, in February of 2020, 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. Wow. By March, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. That's wow. the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. But the Industrial Revolution took 80 years, and we did that in March. So a complete change of everything that we know as it applies to work. Yeah. Just a month ago, the U.S. Census just actually collected a new data set with regards to remote work. 
and identified that 7% of the U.S. workforce is currently working remotely. But if you include hybrid work, it's 32% of the U.S. workforce. And less than 10% of that workforce is working remotely due to the pandemic. So over 90% are working because they want to be able to work from home. So we're at a really interesting transition phase where a lot of people are being pushed back to the office. They're being pushed back to these hybrid work agreements, even though they don't really want to be able to do them. And I think that that feeds into the core of the big problem that we had during the pandemic, which was instead of actually adopting remote work, we simply recreated the office at home. Well, yes, we did, because when in doubt, you know, mimic. You know, humans are great monkeys and we knew what we knew. Um, we were very attached to it, but we may not even have liked it. And now we had something new that we had no idea. There were no models. So we had to figure out something. There are a couple of problems, though, with that that developed. You know, one of which is the worker at home having to navigate. You know, I had my own clients who were trying to navigate family and work and, and their own self-care. Then you had your managers who were trying to figure out how to make sure the work got done. And they were also trying to figure out how to evaluate how the work got done. And if it got done well, one gentleman said to me, you know, I used to go out and have coffee with my folks and I learned what they were doing. He said, I don't know how to do that now. And I said, and that's on the basis on which you evaluated them. He said, yeah, that was pretty much how I evaluated them. I said, well, one wonders whether that was good or now it's bad. So you had the managers and you had the performance evaluation. And now we're working with a group and they are lonely, but they don't want to come back in the office. And so how do you develop a community of remote workers? And, and how do you do it in such a way as they can begin to develop the trust they need to know who to go to for what kind of problems? So I have a hunch these are issues that you saw happening and maybe even have some suggestions about. You can take me through it any which way. How do you do it at home? How do you manage it? How do you evaluate it? How do you build a business? What do you see happening? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, you're actually a addressing all of the problems that we saw when we were developing this book. The first one, which I think is the most important, is how do you measure success inside of a remote-first organization? And one of the issues that I personally had to deal with, because I've come from the remote work world, I've been doing remote work for almost 20 years, I've actually never worked inside of an office. I think technically the last time I worked inside of an office was when I got that horrible review in grad school, <laughs> teaching a first-year sociology course. And the philosophy inside of remote-first organizations, it's the third tenet of what we identify in our book, is detailed metrics. So every single individual inside of our organization has a quantifiable longitudinal metric that is actually collected by the platform and not necessarily by the individual. And inside of that, we have a philosophy that we like to call radical transparency, where everyone gets access to that information. So when you join an asynchronous remote organization, you actually don't just get access to what you do or what your department does, but you get access to everything in the organization. The saying is, can we give you the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company, which is sometimes very difficult for people that live in a synchronous 20th century MBA mindset to get their heads around. But what it does provide to you is the measurement is actually the platform's responsibility, not the manager's. 
So you have this clear third perspective and the conversations that happen between managers and employees are your numbers are not where they need to be. I need to be able to help you to get those number to numbers to where they need to be because I don't control those numbers. I don't control the judgment as to whether or not you succeed mm-hmm. or not. These numbers are actually predefined. So we need to be able to work together to be able to get you to where you need to go, which aligns you with the manager. So you are, the manager is not judging you. It's the platform that's judging you. But more importantly, actually, the manager is also being judged in the same way because the manager is saying, well, all your direct reports or the person above them would say, well, all of these numbers don't necessarily seem to be working out. And this other department is doing better than you you might be the problem as the manager. So qualitative versus quantitative measures, qualitative measures don't really exist inside of asynchronous teams. And we think that that is an advantage. Now clarify something for our viewers and our listeners. I didn't have you talk about asynchronous teams, but that is the essence of what you are uh, proponent here. And, And what does it mean to be asynchronous? I love, I want to go back to your data as data-driven performance, but asynchronous means what? So fundamentally, it just means building a business without interacting with people simultaneously Mm -hmm. or what we call synchronously. But I can give you a good example that kind of alludes to this. I don't know how old you are, but I remember when uh, back in the day, I would have to watch Friends every Friday at 8.30 p.m., Because I know that if I missed friends on Monday, I wouldn't be in the conversations that everyone was having because that episode was, you know, you got to find out what Chandler does this week. And sometimes I'd show up at 840 and I missed the first 10 minutes of friends. So I'd have to take another six months before I could check out a rerun of that particular episode. (laughs) That is that is synchronous communication at its core. Asynchronous communication in management is more like the Netflix model. So the information is available for you, documented in a digitized platform, and it's available to every employee to consume when it's most advantageous to them to consume it, not on the timetable of the manager or the organization. So you, as a worker, can say, well, I don't really want to meet at 3 p.m. to be able to do this meeting because I'm really in a good flow state right now and I'm completing a project so I can watch the recording or I can read the minutes of that particular meeting at 8 p.m. when it's most advantageous for me to be able to consume that information. It's a very, very small shift in the way that you think, but it creates a massive increase in overall productivity. By our data, and again, I looked at approximately three dozen companies that are asynchronous at this point. And some of the most successful companies in the world, by the way, are asynchronous. WordPress is asynchronous. GitLab is asynchronous. Shopify is in part asynchronous. These are massive companies that run like 30 to 40% of the internet. And they have no Zoom calls. Yes, They have no phone calls. They all are autonomous nodes in the system because they know exactly what they need to achieve and they have the information available to them through the platform in in order to be able to actually achieve those particular goals. So we see in our data that the average organization is about 33% more productive. And we define productivity 
by the amount of hard problems that that organization can solve. One of the big philosophical frameworks inside of the book is uh, that's been passed around inside of the remote work community for years is a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And so we use that at scale and we're finding that those organizations are 33% more efficient. They cost about 50% less than their on-premise counterparts. And they're generally going to be a lot more effective as we move forward. And if you're not doing this right now, this is probably why you've had difficulty in the past actually deploying remote work at scale. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there, or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com, and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books, and you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now, back to our podcast. Now, go a little deeper here, because um, as we talk about developing talent. We talk about humans need autonomy. They need to be in control. Um, they need to be believe that, that it's fair, that there's a fairness that's there. Um, they need to protect their status. They need some certainty. Um, and then they, they need the mastery and they need the relationships. That human brain, you know, makes decisions based upon what we call scarf. No, you need my status protected. I need my certainty, my autonomy, my relationships, and my fairness. As you're talking, I'm saying to myself, well, this is really fascinating because asynchronous management businesses enable people who are able to become quite autonomous, master their jobs, get the kind of fairness that they you know require because it's not biased. It's based on the data. You know, you do it or you don't. And and then they can begin to build the relationships they need to get their work done, as opposed to the artificial meetings of the past, where you came together, even though there was nothing to discuss and no agenda or takeaways from it. You're smiling. I've been in too many of those. But as you're talking. I have a saying there, which is no agenda, no attenda. That's my mindset with regards to that kind of stuff. I mean, this is so difficult for people to get their minds around. And it was very, very difficult, by the way, for me 
to be able to, for the first time ever, be exposed to a synchronous environment in which I would sit around with eight other people in a room and maybe two of those people would talk for 90 minutes and then we would leave. (laughs) And I would think to myself, why was I here? I could have written four blog posts or do or or done two podcasts during that time. Yeah. Why am I here? This could have been an email. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, to the contrary. I mean, I was a an executive at a hospital. I moved from banking to a healthcare. And and they would attend. Work was really attending. We would come to meetings, no agenda, no takeaways or work to be done. It was an FYI kind of meeting, I guess. But as coming from the outside, which didn't have its great meetings anyhow, it was one of those, what is, um, what am I supposed to do here? Why am I spending the time? And then I watched people selectively omit the meetings and didn't come, which is a whole other strategy. Um, But they're also talking about in their behavior, I can get the job done without being synchronous. I can get it done with being um, an autonomous individual capable of doing this. So Take me through your book a little bit. I love the asynchronous part. Um, other parts to it that your listeners here should know about that you want to make sure they share, because I have a hunch you want them to become remote workers. <laughs> yeah. So really, there's three core tenets of the book. And it's very simple because we've seen so many books come out about remote work. Uh, there's actually 27 coming out this quarter based off of what my publisher is telling me. And there's no book on asynchronous work. There's no book on asynchronous management, which is a real shame because I actually think it's the core of what all of these real pioneers were doing before the pandemic. And this really was a bit of a kind of qualitative journey for me, looking at all of these different companies and identifying where the trend lines were. I was trying to identify the signal. And then we had talked about asynchronous work and I realized Every single company that was successful was deploying what I call asynchronous management at scale. So there's three core fundamental pieces to it. There's deliberate over communication, democratized workflows, and detailed metrics. So over communication, information shouldn't be easy to understand. It should be impossible to misunderstand. That's a very small switch in your mindset. But an email is not just an introduction to a synchronous meeting. An email is where the conversation should hopefully start and end. And the less of those forms of communication that you end up having, the clearer that you can be, the extra three minutes that you spend on an email or or communicating in a project management tool, as an example, the more effective you're going to be organizationally. The second one is democratized workflows. So process documentation is at the core of every single asynchronous organization. When we see, there was a really great quote from uh, a company called GitLab, which is a $14 billion company. They spend less than 1% of their time communicating synchronously, but they have a $14 billion valuation and they're growing incredibly quickly. And they have this saying, which is, we always respond with a link. So whenever someone asks a question inside of the organization, they respond with a link to a process document that answers their question. Uh So they're removing the manager from being the way that people get answers. And they're training them to show, they're training them to basically figure out that the platform is really their manager. Again, reinforcing autonomy, allowing individuals to say, well, here's where I go get my information. 
It's actually in this documentation, and I want to actively use it as much as humanly possible. And then the third one that we had touched on before is detailed metrics. Every single person inside of an asynchronous organization has a third-party, longitudinal, quantifiable metric that they do not self-populate that is populated by the platform itself, and then that information is available to everyone. So everyone knows what everyone else is doing inside of the organization. And counterintuitively, you may think that this impacts autonomy, but in reality, actually, if it were me, I would much rather be managed and measured by a platform that's at its core egalitarian as opposed to John that says, hey, you know what? I don't really like the way that Liam talks to me sometimes, so therefore I'm going to give him a low you know, rating on my 360 review, that type of stuff. So between those three core tenants, you can actually build any level of asynchronous organization. And it's really exciting once you get there, because then you can do things like have your employees work wherever they want. So they don't necessarily need to be in a particular location because you're not dependent upon synchronous communication. They don't have to be located in the same city. They can be where we have employees in 44 different countries across the planet. You can have employees that are from any location and are bringing in very different perspectives. Uh, we've had one funny week that I had was I had a meeting with someone that was talking about debating their transition from male to female. And then the very next week, I had a discussion with someone who was thinking about having a second wife in their family, because in the Middle East, uh, this person was from the Middle East, and that was legal and encouraged in their particular country. And then this other person um, was transitioning. Where in any organization could you have those two same people interact? Well, you can have it in an organization in which you don't necessarily have to have that kind of cultural homogenization that you end up having um, in the vast majority of synchronous organizations. So it's a really exciting time. And I see this being, going back to another friend of mine, Darren Murph, who's head of remote at uh, WordPress. He said, this is really a Model T moment where we're really seeing a new way of operating a business. And that's why I want to kind of get this out to mm -hmm. as many people as possible. How about decision-making? Um, as I'm listening to you, you're empowering your folks to make decisions or do you have a different asynchronous way of evaluating options or how do you manage uh, expenditures, empowerment, risk-taking, things that I know some of my clients are always concerned about. You know, how much risk shall I take? How do I go up for approval? Where do I manage the dollars? But as I'm listening to you, it sounds like we're going to empower our people to make those decisions or how do they work? Yeah, so I can give you one clear example, which can kind of allude to many more. We have this concept called silent meetings inside of our organizations, inside of all asynchronous organizations. And to get very tactical, we use a platform called Asana, which is a task and project management system. And every single week, we have a meeting where we post issues. So the issue might be, we would like to hire 10 more engineers to work on this particular issue. Here's the pros and cons. Here's what we think. Here's why we think we'll succeed. Here's the risks if we fail. And then we debate that issue asynchronously. So we start writing comments inside of that particular issue ticket. And sometimes these issues can go 
40, 50, 100 comments long. They are incredibly intense, very rich pieces of information. And if we come to a conclusion, we take that conclusion and we put it to the top of the ticket and we clear the ticket. And if we have less than three issues in our agenda, we the platform automatically cancels the synchronous meeting. So we do this meeting every week and we have on average one meeting a month because mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to address all of those issues. All the issues that you think are going to like make or break the business and completely change the trajectory of what you're doing as an organization, they don't need to be discussed synchronously. Uh, the vast majority of the time they can be discussed asynchronously and can be just as successful. And the advantage inside of that, there's two. Number one, documentation. So I can go back two years mm-hmm. and I can figure out, well, why did I make this decision in the business? And mm-hmm. I can look at the 78 comments and the debate. So there's no undocumented conversations inside of asynchronous organizations. The second big advantage, and I don't know if you've had this situation happen to you, but it happens to me all the time. It's very difficult for me to be able to communicate in the moment. I'm much better sitting down and thinking about things, getting the information and processing it in my own time. And when I look at a boardroom, I don't even need to hear what people are saying to figure out whose ideas are going to get adopted first. It's usually the six foot tall white guy that looks like Captain America, (laughs) Uh, because generally that person has a charismatic advantage. Uh, what I like to call a charisma bias. So we have that person pitch those ideas. Is is that person's idea better than anyone else's? Probably not. But can the packaging of that person sell everyone on that idea? Absolutely. So inside of asynchronous organizations, the wallflower like me that doesn't actually want to debate those issues in the moment because I know I will lose. I don't have that type of skill set. I can communicate to asynchronous means, and better ideas get adopted more often inside of asynchronous orgs. And over time, that is a killer formula for much higher levels of success inside of your organization. It sounds like in your organization, this is how you run the business. Yes, absolutely. So the question is, how do you then um, develop, attract, retain, develop your talent? Do they just love this way of working and and learn it immediately? Because it's a different way from what I'm guessing. They've acquired skills in high school and college about how you get things done. And, 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 you know, if a feeder system needs to be created, it may actually be you that creates it. But what what do you do with employees to make them happy doing it this way? So the first thing that I think you need to take a look at is there's a core assumption in there that I think the majority of synchronous organizations take into consideration, which we do not, which is the concept of culture. I mean, you're really just boiling it down to how do we build culture inside of our organization? Asynchronous organizations are more focused on the work than the people. Mm -hmm. So inside of asynchronous organizations, we do not say that we own a position. We say that we currently operate a position. So I am not the CMO of the company. I currently operate the position of CMO of the company. And at any point, 
I have the documentation in place to be able to completely delegate that responsibility if I want to. So if I want to take the year off and write a book about remote work, which I did, I can, within days, delegate all that responsibility to my direct reports, and the organization continues on. But going back to the work concept, it entirely is focused on, are people really passionate about the problem that you're trying to solve? Our mission as a company is we're trying to empower the world's transition towards remote work. That feeds into everything that we currently do as an organization. And our measurement for new people that are coming into the organization is, are you as passionate about that as us? Do you have a cult-like commitment to that particular mission? If you don't, don't work here. We'll find you a job somewhere else that's way better. And we'll probably pay you more, but we can't pay you as much. It's going to be more difficult. But at the end of the day, we're going to try to put a dent in the universe that I think you will be fundamentally proud of because you're so incredibly passionate about this particular subject. And that's what almost I mean, the majority of people miss yes. is it doesn't matter how qualified someone is. Yeah. Are they actually excited about what you're doing? Because yes. if they're not excited about what, they're, what you're doing, then you might as well not even start. So that's where we start with. And as an example, we have an EMPS rating, which is an employee net promoter score, basically how engaged employees are in their organization of 80. The industry average is 36. And when I studied these asynchronous organizations, I found on average, they had a score of 72. Uh-huh. So they're much more engaged. And the two major reasons that they give for why they like working there is autonomy and access to information. Uh-huh. So having an open organization like that allows for people to be more autonomous, enjoy what they're doing. They're not necessarily interacting with coworkers as much because synchronous organizations just by default do that. But there are different ways that we interact. Like uh, one of the companies that I studied in the book is a company called Todoist, which is a task management app that has millions of users all over the world. And they play a kind of version of Dungeons and Dragons on their (laughs) instant messaging platform. And as a group, they all have a little community and they say, well, do we go left or we do we go right? And some of them are wizards and and rogues and warriors and they fight. And, and, and they have this actually through text. So yeah. it's a really fun kind of experience. And they'll say, hey, within the next 24 hours, everyone's got to log in and we, you've got to make your decision as to what you do because we're going to be moving our, our party forward. And that's a very nerdy example, but that's just some of the ways that we interact asynchronously. Liam, if they want to get your book, I'm enjoying our conversation, but I'm also watching our time. And um, is the book out? Is it coming out? The book is going to be out August 16th. So depending upon when this uh, session comes out, it may be available. And if people want to go check it out, go to runningremotebook.com. And then you can obviously pick it up at Barnes Noble, at uh, Amazon's probably the easiest place to be able to get it. Yes, but we all do want to keep Barnes and Noble happy. But 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 to your point, I mean, this is really cool. If do you do consulting and do you help people create asynchronous organizations? Is that part of your toolkit as well? No, uh, because <laughs> I don't have time to be able to do that. Uh, I have to stay an operator inside of the inside of remote work. But if you go to runningremotebook.com, I actually do have a network of consultants that I can refer you to if you're really interested in deploying asynchronous at sale. 
Because the last thing I like to do is raise expectations. This is really cool. And boy, would I like to do this with all of my remote workers. And man, could I take the opportunity and turn it into something better? And then they say, but how do you do this? And, um, you know, you can't learn to play golf without a coach and some idea of how you hit the ball. And you got to hit it 700 times before you hit it well. So there's lots to do between the lip and the cup here. But this has been so fascinating. As you are wrapping up, two or three things you might like to leave the listeners with. They often remember the end even better than your beginning. And your beginning was wonderful. Well, so I think first off, to your point, I'm not trying to build a million asynchronous organizations. I'm trying to get a million organizations to be 1% more asynchronous. So if you pick up this book and you're able to pick up two or three strategies to be able to remove one or two meetings from every single individual, that is going to be a net gain to the universe, uh, in my opinion. So it's really important to be able to check out the book, see what you think. The second point that I'll leave you with is if you think that this is not going to be the norm moving forward, you are unfortunately not understanding how history works. Yes. We're at 30% of the U.S. workforce working remotely. I believe that within the next five years, we're going to be back up to 50% of the U.S. workforce working remotely in part. And this is a permanent civilizational shift. So you can either stick your head in the sand and think that the old way is the way to be able to do it, going back to the, the horse and buggy concept, or you can jump onto those Model Ts and ride into the future. So it's up to you, but I would highly suggest that if you think that this is a trend or just kind of a a speed bump in history, uh, definitely pick up the book because it's not. <laughs> you need to be able to be adapted for those changes. Well, you know, I the comment that this is the Model T um, for work is a very interesting metaphor. I'm sure you've read Henry Ford's I Invented the Modern Age. Um, and, and now we have electronic vehicles, electric vehicles coming out um, transforming the car from a combustible engine to a, basically a computer um, with a battery. And, and so there are lots of great transformations happening at this moment. And, and I, I think that work, it, and, and that, that I love catalytic moments. What the pandemic did was create a crisis. And I preach, mm -hmm. don't waste your crisis. Mm. You use it for whatever you can use it for because you learned a lot. And, and I do a tremendous amount of virtual workshops and speaking engagements. And, and people said, well, we, we want you to come. And I'm trying really hard to tell them that that's a waste of my time and not terribly more valuable for you. Because I'm not there to entertain you charismatic-like. I mean, I'm there to inform you, educate you, perhaps a little edutainment. Uh, but if we can do it remotely, it's really cool for me and for you. And it's cheaper for you, too. And so I did 49 of them this year, all remote, wow. with great reviews. And I have them starting to book up for next year. And I'm saying to myself, I don't really need to do it in person. It's a little asynchronous, in a sense. Um, but it's not too far from what you're talking about. It's a great transformation. We learned a lot. And boy, you can listen in and find yourself coming away transformed like our listeners are going to after listening to you. This has been such fun. Thank you for joining me today. I know you're doing a lot of podcasts. I hope this has been a fun one for you because part of it is really fun taking your ideas and sharing it. So you don't have to tell me if it was fun or not. You can just smile for our viewers and say goodbye. It was, actually. I, I, it's, it was very enjoyable. And thank you so much for having me.
Well, and thank you both viewers and listeners for coming today. Now, remember, my job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so that you can do things better. My job is to get you off the brink so you can soar. And the times when they're changing, you often become stuck in the mud. You're the deer in the headlight. You stand still. You're attached to your shiny object. And until you see something new, you don't know how to change. And that's just your body protecting you from the unfamiliar or the unknown. And so today we've been hearing a lot about the changing nature of work. It's happened. And now you can sustain it, but also turn it into a better way to do business. Because quite frankly, your customers are looking to do it as well. And it's not just inside, but it's outside in, which is what we love to do. So my books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Rethink has been doing really well. It won an award as the 2022 Best Business Book for Women in Business. And my On the Brink has been hustling along there, showing you how a little anthropology can help your business grow. And remember, our job is to help you change. You hate change. Sometimes you hate me for helping you change, but the times are changing. So come along and let's have some fun. You can reach us, of course, at info at andysimon.com or info at simonassociates.net. And our new website is out. Come take a look and see what you can learn about how to change. Bye for now, and thank you again for coming. Let's say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Liam. Bye.